0: I'm glad that you can join us this week. I hope you're prepared to be, I don't want to say traumatized. Bewildered? Yeah. And even just <laughs> listening to us talk about this, if you don't watch the video, the, the documentary, I think you'll be cold. You'll leave feeling a cold that you can't get rid of until you take a hot, hot shower.
1: I agree. So the documentary we're covering today is Safety to Nome. Mm-hmm. It's an hour and 27 minutes. I rented mine off Prime. It's a 2019 release.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a little bit different than what we thought it was going to be, right? We thought it was going to be like mushers and you know, that kind of thing with the doggies yeah. and stuff like that. Because this race, it's an, like an extreme race, right? Mm-hmm. It takes place on the Iditarod Trail.
0: Right. Which I always associate with dogs. And I thought that was all that happened there.
1: Right. But these bitches are doing a different race on this trail. And it's completely (laughs) throwing me for a loop.
0: Oh, my God. And if you guys remember from the end of the last episode, I'm like, well, I don't know why you would do it other than the dogs. Well, now you've removed the dogs. So I really (laughs) don't know why you would do it. It's just, I, I, I don't know.
1: So let me say, the good things for me in this documentary was the scenery was spectacular. Gorgeous. They show daytime shots. They show nighttime shots where the stars in the sky are so bright. They practically reach down and smack you in the face. Yeah. I mean, so that part, I can understand that that would be truly an experience of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. However, the whole time it's like negative 35 degrees. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how you survive that, I don't understand.
0: And when I first started watching this and there were no dogs, I was a little bit upset with you for making me watch this because there were no dogs. (laughs) But I will say by the end of this, I was rooting for these people. I was crying for these people. I was invested in their journey and their lives. So Mm -hmm. they did a really good job with this documentary. I was really proud of it. Well, proud of it. That's a stupid thing. They don't need my praise. I was really impressed by it.
1: Right. It's an excellent documentary. The subject matter is... Not common. And I always like that about what we're doing. Because I feel like, holy shit, I'm changed after this, right? Like, I didn't know this was a thing and people were doing this. And mm-hmm. now I feel like I learned a little something.
0: Right. Well, that's one of the reasons we really like documentaries is to learn yeah. stuff, right? So... Yeah. And just, like, weird stuff,
1: you know? Like, mm. this yes. is off the beaten path. And what people... Do with her time and their money, um they didn't discuss the cost of this thing, but I'm like it had to be a little bit of money, right?
0: Yeah, you are not only choosing to put yourself through this, you're paying to put yourself through this,
1: yeah, shall we kind of get into it so the race is an ultra marathon, which I think I was trying to say earlier. There are three legs, ultimately, people can choose to do a thousand miles.
0: <laughs> right. So they have, like you said, they have three different mm-hmm. ways to do it. So you can go 130 miles. You can go mm-hmm. 350. That's the most common as that 350. Mm-hmm. And then you can take the trail all the way from like Anchorage to Nome, which is a thousand miles. And what, what are the modes of transportation?
1: Yeah. Also three modes of transportation, right? You can go on foot, which is fascinating Mm -hmm. you can go on cross-country ski which sounds slightly better but i'd one time tried to do one of those cross-country ski things at the gym and it about killed me (laughs) and then you can ride a fat tire bicycle in the snow
0: in february in the wilderness
1: yeah (laughs) yes and you carry all your shit with you yeah so you're really kind of trying to balance out the weight of the shit that you have to cart around versus protection from the elements.
0: Yeah. So like you said, it ranges from like negative 20 to negative like 40 C and negative 40 C. It's the same in Fahrenheit. So we'll just go with that. Mm-hmm. It's fucking cold. And some days they would show it would be like beautiful. and The sun is out. There's no wind. People were kind of cruising along and chucking. And other days the wind mm-hmm. was so bad They're moving yards per hour, right? They're walking their bikes. It's horrendous.
1: Because they can't stay on their bikes. Mm -hmm. It's not because they're like, we're going uphill. It's because they're being blown off their bikes. (laughs) If you're a biker. Yes. It is so crazy. Let me just say the name of this race, so you can avoid it, is the Iditarod Trail Invitational.
0: So you can avoid it. I like that. 100%. One person actually said more people summit Everest in an hour than complete this trail in a year. It's just so, even for extreme marathoners, Mm -hmm. this is ultra extreme doing all the way to Nome because of the weather conditions and everything. It's just so much. Right.
1: So there's a cat named Bill Merchant and he is the what we're going to shorten down to the I T I founder and he's the race marshal. Mm -hmm. So he started in 1998 and kind of is a usual suspect from then, whether he's a racer or he's um, kind of marshalling or whatever it is, he's fucking doing. He's like a staple here. And I don't know that I really like this cat. (laughs) There's some 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 things
0: that come out of his mouth. I'm like, that was out loud. He does. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some of the other participants, there's RJ Sauer, who's a filmmaker, he's a Vancouver person. Um, he's 43. Mm -hmm. So these are not super young folks. And he and he kind of partners up at the beginning with a guy named Frank Jansons, who's a sports consultant. He too is from Vancouver at the spring chicken age of 59. Yeah. And he's hoping, he's hoping they're they're both kind of gnome or the thousand mile racers both bike people in this case Mm -hmm. there's a lady named kathy merchant who i believe is married to bill i mean they don't expressly say that but still right she is the director she's 40
0: Mm -hmm.
1: there's a guy named troy and he's got the longest potentially polish name at the end and i am not going to try that so good old troy Mm -hmm. bike mechanic he's an aussie And he is a thousand mile finisher in 2016. So they are very, the documentary itself does a really good job of pointing out people's accomplishments in this race. Cause Mm -hmm. please do right. Like it's right up there with getting your PhD. In my opinion, I don't know. It's like, it's crazy. Yes. There's a guy named Jay Peterberry. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's a great fucking name. Mm -hmm. And he also is featured pretty heavily in this, but Our little adventure starts on February 26th, 2017.
0: Do we have Tim's last name? I can't remember his last name. It's Hewitt. Tim Hewitt. So Tim Hewitt is a big player in this too. So he's finished the race on foot nine times. The thousand miles to Nome on foot nine times by the time Mm -hmm. this is taking place in 2017. But this is his second attempt to do it on the bike. So his first attempt failed. Right. And this is his second try on the bike. And I'm like, you are one crazy cat, man. And he's like in his 60s or something, I think, right? 50s or 60s. He's not young. I
1: have heard that he's 61 years old. He's a lawyer out of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. He's sort of seems to be the guy to catch, right? He's the, the legend on the trail. And you kind of find out why everybody holds him in such high regard. But I would like to make sure that Tim's getting some kind of counseling or something because it doesn't look
0: like he's making the best choices. Maybe
1: safe choices all the time. I don't know.
0: Yeah, one. I was gonna say one thing. Frank does say, Mister Jansen, Jansen, mm-hmm. however was pronounced? He said the only rules are to try to stay alive. And if something goes wrong, you were the only one responsible for the decisions you made. And I'm like, God damn, dude.
1: Well, there is a lot of discussion about how serious this is mm-hmm. and how prepared you have to be. Mm. And how if you have to get your dumbass ass extracted out of here, the cost is on you. So I have no idea how much that is because they never talk about the cost of any of this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Although I will say it is... to summit Everest or not, I'm kidding, not even to summit Everest to give that a shot. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it's more or less, but I would think that it's got to be something in the out of the range for most people.
0: Yeah. And think of how much time out of your life this takes, not just the actual event, but this, you've got to train for this. I would assume that's obvious. Right. I don't know how you train. What if you live in a warm climate? How are you training for something like this?
1: I don't even know. I think that's an excellent question, but it's really funny. The, the amount of self reliance they talk about Mm -hmm. and like how much you have to prepare for these kinds of conditions. And if you don't prepare enough, you're kind of a dumbass. It's sort of the
0: vibe that I get from this. It's the choices you've made. They and even people yeah. who have to be extracted in the middle of this and and scratch out, as they call it, they're mm-hmm. like, "Well, I just didn't make good choices. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't that." It's never, "Oh my god, it was just so crazy out there. I couldn't do it." It's, "I made bad choices, or I wasn't prepared enough." And on one hand, I really appreciate that. On the other hand how can you prepare for the unknown? You can only prepare for the most extreme that you think it's going to be. And if you've never done it before, you know, what do you do? Right. So
1: let's talk about what the kind of the pattern is here or what the, what the people sign up to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So for the thousand mile leg, we have 26 racers Mm
0: -hmm.
1: for the 350 mile leg we have 47 racers and for the 130 we have 11 Mm -hmm. racers most people choose the bike so like i said we start on february 26th day one the race leaders are kind of at the 85 mile mark and they make a stop at squinta no squint roadhouse checkpoint so they're kind of drying out Um, This is a place where they can get inside and like have a hot meal and like be indoors and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But that's like, if you make it that far, if you like have to stop in between, you're just like sleeping
0: on the ground in the warmest sleeping bag on earth. Right. They look like mummies on the side of the trail because they're just so bundled up. And they put something down that looks like it might help protect you between the snow and the sleeping bag. Mm -hmm. They put something down on the snow and then they bundle up. But I would say when I looked at how long it took and the average, they average about 60 miles a day. So Mm -hmm. the first day, a lot of them made it to that 85 mile checkpoint, which seems so extreme to me, but they're like, Oh, at the beginning, you're just gung ho. You're burning off energy. You're excited. And then obviously it slows down after that. And I'm like, okay, I get that. Mm -hmm. And I like that they do have checkpoints along the way for them to stop, get inside, warm up, get something to eat or drink at times. Sometimes it's just someone's house mm-hmm. that they volunteered their space. Right. That's yeah. crazy and amazing all at the same time. Right. So these are kind of known points along the
1: way. And I guess they do talk about later, I think it's Tim says, at one point they weren't allowed to have GPS. But now they can mm-hmm. have GPS. And I'm like, which substantially increased your likelihood of survival? I don't know it's just, it's crazy.
0: I will talk about that later with Kevin. I was okay. like, what the actual fuck? Anyway. Yeah, 100%. I was happy to see them being able to thaw out. And also what I noticed when they were showing this first checkpoint stop is that they all have these big gloves attached to the handlebars. Like they just put their hands in, like they have gloves on their hands, but they have right. these huge mittens attached to the bike that go over the handlebar. And I love that. I thought that was so fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's a guy named Kevin um, who's a competitor. And he says he's a natural resource technician. I don't exactly know what that is. But he's lived in Alaska for 15 years. He says he's never felt in control here. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. which is mainly the reason I don't live there. Although I have visited. Tim Hewitt says he really likes the solitude of being out there. That's his why. Because a lot of, like, you know, noobs like us are like, Why do you do this to yourselves? And so several of the competitors talk about why they do it once and then continue to go back over and over again.
0: Well, that was one of my things. I'm like, why would you do it again? So choosing a different mode of transportation, that's a new challenge. I kind of get that. But doing the same race the same way over and over again, I don't understand because it seems like climbing Everest. You climbed it. You did it. Now you do a new challenge so you would think they would mm-hmm. do a new challenge or a new extreme marathon but this is this one in particular just draws people back over and over again which is crazy
1: yeah so i think that there is a real sense of man versus the elements mm-hmm. right you got to conquer this thing that not many people a know about or do but there is a big draw for people to be out on their own in the middle of nowhere, literally on a bike,
0: nothing but plains of snow, for as far as the eye can see.
1: There is a trail. I mean, so it's not like you're
0: forging through, but but it, not there's really. No guarantee, right? Because one night of snow and that trail is no longer visible. So it's not like they forge ahead. And that was my question at one point with Kevin. He's in the lead, and this is his first time going past the mm-hmm. 350 mile mark so he's in the lead on his own on a trail he's never been on and you could see that it was his bike and making a trail there was no trail in front of him i'm like mm-hmm. how the actual fuck do you know where you're going i mean
1: so i saw one at one point they have some markers on trees like that's yellow reflective things yeah um so i think that's part of what it is so i think there might be some signage or whatever and i will say that they are also tracking people Mm-hmm. You know, they have a map, and they're showing you where everybody is. So the organizers of this do have eyes on where the fuck people are, and I think they usually have, you know, they're monitoring like how long are they in one place? Like, is this something that we think is okay, or do we need right. to like go and find them? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're constantly talking about, like, <laughs> do we interrupt what people are doing because we're concerned about them, or do we just let them go? Yeah. and hope for the best.
0: So that is really interesting. They did not mention any casualties from this, but Mm -mm. surely there's got to be at least one.
1: Right. So day two, we get to the Finger Lake checkpoint, which is the first, the end point of the first, that's the 130 mile mark. Let's say it that way. Um, There's a shelter there. It's negative 15 degrees Celsius, which is five degrees Fahrenheit inside.
0: Inside the tent, yes. Because it's more of a tent structure than a heated... Yeah. Like, the other one was, like, a cabin with a fire, and it was... Yeah.
1: hmm
0: Yeah. Right. mm Also, I just also want to point out, in February, there's only eight hours of daylight in Alaska. I had to look that up. It's mostly just dark okay. all the time. Right?
1: hmm
0: Which seems scary, because they're, like, I don't know, wolves and polar bears and shit, and they don't fuck around, right? I don't know.
1: I mean, I don't either. There is some discussion of a wolf following Tim, but then there's also some discussion of like, maybe he exaggerated that. So as far as we know, no one gets eaten <laughs>
0: <laughs> on this, this go round
1: on this, this year. Yeah. Yeah. So day three, they're trying to make it to Roan, which is the 200 mile mark. Six of 84 racers at this point have scratched.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's due to the goddamn wind because Some of the shots of this wind are like what I would compare to seeing hurricane wind, like correspondence for the weather channel, like out reporting about, you know, the weather conditions and they're just like basically being blown out of
0: their, like coats are flapping and stuff just looks like hellacious condition. Just drop the temperature 70 degrees and add snow. And that's what it looks like. Yes. It looks miserable. 100%. Mm -mm -mm.
1: Um, we talked to a cat named Jay, who's saying that you don't even have to answer to anybody while you're out there. You're not suffering, nor are these, you know, people crazy. Jay happens to make his living like this and he enjoys it. Yeah. He's an
0: extreme marathoner. Right. Good for him, man. Good for you. (laughs) I'm going to take a pass on that one.
1: Yeah. Sounds Great for you Mm -hmm. day four um we have 12 of 84 racers have scratched
0: this is interesting to me because at this point you see tim he's not really up at the beginning of the pack even though he's done this trail several times well like Mm -hmm. 20 times he's really struggling with his bike like the gears get frozen he gets stuck in a really high gear which i'm assuming he can't even push the pedals at that point he's just walking the bike He's just struggling, right? Because this is not Mm -hmm. normally how he does it. And I feel for him. Like, But he just keeps going. Keeps pushing it on. And they do mention that if you make it to Rhone and you're in good condition, you're pretty much clear to go to McGrath, which is the 350 mile point. Mm -hmm. So it's the hardest part of the first 350 miles is getting to Rhone. And then you're kind of good. Yeah.
1: Right. So Tim says he really enjoys things when the trail is good and he's able to make a lot of time, but the trail can turn bad basically at any moment and it's inevitable, right? So he said, my job is to be prepared for when the conditions get really shitty. Mm -hmm. So he's closing in on Roan, kind of at the time where he catches up with some of the documentarians Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and talks about his bike goes through the ice at some point and the gears are all fucked up, like you said, mentioned. So he's taking some time to fix it. And he seems kind of shitty about that. Also, he does discuss that he doesn't feel super prepared to be working on this bike. Like he's not super bike savvy. Mm -hmm. And yet,
0: here we are. Here we are. So when we get to Roan, Frank Jansen from the beginning, Mm -hmm. he was riding with RJ, I believe, Right. Right, and RJ gets there first, and he's like, Frank isn't doing well. He's got uh, been coughing a lot. His lungs are really bothering him. So Frank was like, "Go ahead, I'll catch up," and he did, but he's not able to continue past Ron.
1: Right, so he's got a nasty cough. Um, he has an inhaler from his general practitioner, and they start to talk about well, frostbite's kind of a common issue for people on the trail. There is some medical help available sometimes. I don't think it's all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes, like, I think RJ has to sleep outside because the shelter's full.
0: Yeah. But hopefully the building blocks the wind, at least, or something. They do show pictures of, I can't remember who it was who had second-degree frostbite on his hands. It was so, so bad. Like, the blisters on his hands were huge. I think there's a guy named Martin that's well got Martin frostbite was frostbite on his hand. That was later. This okay. guy actually okay. had to get extracted. He flew, he, once he got to Roan and his hands were so bad, they were both fully wrapped up and then he had to be flown out.
1: Okay. This, like, I have a a guy named Guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Who says that endurance, he's like sitting there with m- mittens like <laughs> his hands. He's like, endurance races are a selfish sport. And I'm like, Correct. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and none of them are heavy, Ooh. right? They all wish they could go on and and whatnot, but it's just not feasible for them at this time, which sucks because they'll probably come back the next year and try again, which is good for them, but they're in such a, a condition that move, moving forward would not be advisable. At one point, Martin will talk about him. He's talked to his doctor. The doctor's like, I don't advise you to go on. I'm like, what doctor would give the okay for you to do any of this, period.
1: I mean, they they kind of discussed that as well. Like, pretty certain that no doctor is going to be, like, on board with all of this. Yep. Well, we'll talk about Martin later. Yeah. So, at mile 350, and this is a McGrath. Yes. Jay mm -hmm, is our winner of this leg of the journey. Mm -hmm. And they're at a place called the Schneider Heinz House. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just somebody's fucking house.
0: I think so. I think it is. I will mention real quick that one of the volunteers, I think it was at Roan. His name was Kevin. He said in previous years, they'd only had to fly out one person, like over several years. But this year in particular, they had already flown out eight people from Roan. And I'm like, okay, so the conditions were pretty bad then. (laughs) Or you just have a lot of inexperienced people coming. I'm not sure which. Right, because they mention,
1: again, here's this, it's, it's a lack of preparedness, and it's a lack of experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. But yes, so Jay wins the 350-mile portion. 23 of the 84 racers have scratched so far. Mm-hmm. One racer, was it Kevin? One, I think Kevin was the one who said that the race was easier than taking care of a two-year-old.
1: Yeah, so this is Kevin. I have him as Kevin B. Because there were a couple different Kevins in here.
0: Yeah. And all I could think of was, well, it's a good thing you left your partner alone with that fucking tyrant. Right? Good for you. I hope Look, they I had time. a
1: lot of feelings <laughs> about this part of it. Because, yeah, he's like, Oops. It's
0: nice he to get away. It, it's
1: fourth, his fourth time getting to McGrath. But he's trying to get to Nome this time. Mm-hmm. It takes people, on average, what I think they said, 30 days. To do this race in the full capacity. And I agree with you 100% to say, what gives you the right to stick that on somebody else?
0: Well, and let's go back to what I said earlier. How much training was involved to get to this point that he was doing that did not include taking small children along with him? So it is a selfish sport. And I hope his partner... But he feels bad
1: for being gone so long. So I guess that makes up for everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So (laughs) Uh, anyway, so back to Tim says things are changing at this point. It's getting worse. Kevin B says he's nervous about the next leg to Ruby. Mm -hmm. It's desolate.
0: Shocking. It's like 200 (laughs) miles of nothing nothing like there are no communities no one is on the trail no one uses the trail but other racers and at this Mm -hmm. point you've got only a few racers on that last leg to a thousand miles to Nome, and they're like days apart so they're not necessarily riding with each other we started off with 26 people that were trying to do this and in a big
1: wilderness that's not that much you're not going to get like People passing each other. You know, it's right. not like the Tour de France where there's like 50 million people like <laughs> right. vying to get. It's just, yeah, you're basically racing yourself.
0: By day seven, there's only seven of the original 26 gnome racers are left. That's crazy. 19 are out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they probably did the first bit and they're like, fuck all that. You start off strong. Yeah.
1: We come back to our friend Bill who's talking about. Just the giant responsibility that he has as the marshal, right? Um, (laughs) And how he's supposed to allow peeps. And again, he mentions Tim in particular to be self-sufficient and to provide aid. So they kind of talk about this story where they were concerned about some people. So what they did was this really sly thing where they sent him some Cokes and sandwiches just to check on him. And I'm like, why don't you just be like, hey, we were concerned. Doing okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you know, they don't want people to die, but they do want them to have to earn it, I guess. And he says this really stupid thing, in my opinion, about these are the kids that wore shoes on the opposite feet as children. They are the ones who grew up to do this.
0: Yeah. So his point of that was they didn't want help from their parents. So they could do it them. themselves. They'll put the shoes on mm-hmm. wrong. It doesn't matter. They don't want help. They'll do it themselves. So these are obstinate people, pretty much, pretty much. I'm guessing most of them are single and I'm guessing Kevin is single after this race. (laughs) At least that one guy
1: makes a living doing this. I mean, right. Absolutely. There's something from it. Right. So I think that Alaska attracts people who maybe don't have a lot of, um, I mean, they might be contrarians, right? Like mm-hmm. they like the independence that living here affords them. Cause there are people who like live
0: out in the middle of nowhere all the time. Yes. There was one house they stopped at <laughs> that literally it's a house, like a view from the top. You see this house and you see nothing for like hundreds of miles. There's nothing. And I'm like, Ooh, how long does DoorDash take to get there? How are you going to get your food? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, I'm like, did they, okay, I'm going to ask a couple of practical questions because I'm a curious cat by nature. Mm-hmm. How do you go to the bathroom
0: when it's this cold outside? I thought about that too. I mean, and you're, you're going for so long between checkpoints and some of those checkpoints clearly don't look like they have facilities. So I don't know if they're wearing something. Okay. Like some marathoners will in general, yeah, or if course. you're like... Yeah. I remember asking my friend one time, her dad was in the Air National Guard and flew like F-16s, and he would fly overseas sometimes. I'm like, That's a really long flight and that's a teeny tiny little plane. It's not like you can get up and go anywhere. You're just sat there. (laughs) What do you do? And he's like, You wear a diaper, essentially. And I'm like, Oh, well, okay. Weird how they didn't talk about that in Top Gun. No, it's not really that sexy, is it? It It's
1: not sexy. That makes me feel better that if they're, you know, taking like they're wearing a diaper, then they're just like Drop and trowel at negative thirty five and like trying to write their name in the snow because we both know that that's not going to work.
0: No, but and I wonder how much of it, especially when it comes to fluids, you're writing in the snow. You're exerting a lot. There's probably sweat. How much urine you're actually creating because it's sweating out. You're taking it in. You're it using be. it. So I don't know. And they're not eating. What they're eating is probably extremely high in caloric value, but probably not a whole lot of bulk right? Cause they have to carry it. Do you with think them.
1: it's just a can of lard?
0: <laughs> <Just> some <crisco. laughs> Well, I remember Scott at work started running and he said, if you go past an hour running and this is much past that, you should have like gummy bears or something with you um, because it's just pure sugar. And so that'll give you calories. And I'm like, you can't, you have to stop to eat those. You can't chew and run. You'll choke. Right? So I'm guessing maybe they eat gummy bears or they have the little gel packs or it looked like little MREs or something. Sure. So I don't know. Yeah. Or lard. Whatever. Alright. I'm glad we
1: I'm <laughs> glad we talked about that because I was like let me also say <laughs> there are very few women in this hole to do. There's like that one lady and a couple of the people uh, that are welcoming racers into yeah. their houses and that's it. Do you know why? Because we have more common sense. Yes. <laughs> we're at home watching the toddlers which is admittedly harder says one guy yes
0: yes i think where's my trophy for that our challenges are different we don't need to challenge ourselves in that way we challenge ourselves every day by living with men and that's enough of a challenge for us we're good
1: (laughs) all right sorry about that everyone um let's talk about day eight day nine so we have kevin in first place Mm -hmm. kevin of toddler fame Jay in second place and Tim is in third place mm-hmm. all pushing their bikes and panting a lot, but again, stunning views and scenery. So seems like a,
0: yeah. And this is where I, don't I was looking at Kevin was in the lead. And again, they're about a day behind each other, each person. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he's pretty far ahead and it's just him and a bike and he's blazing this trail. Cause I don't see any, anything to show which way to go. I'm assuming he's following a compass and is like, well, I'm going North and that's what I need to do. So at one point you're following a river. That's a little easier, but still Mm -hmm. he's like, at one point he said it was three days alone, completely alone. So when he saw the documentarians, he was like, Oh my God, people. (laughs) Right. You're trail angels. (laughs) Oh, Uh, no, no, thank you. Yeah. A
1: lot of them talking about how intensely personal it is to not have any company and be cold, not suffering, but right next door. I don't know. I don't want to call it misery, but
0: (laughs) well, misery takes company. So, (laughs) right. Yeah. It's just watching that portion of it to me was the most, why the fuck would you continuously come back and do this? I don't
1: Let's talk about Martin at this point. Yes. He's three days behind the leader. Mm -hmm. He says he's just kind of walking along and he starts to feel something on his neck and he realizes a goddamn piece of his ear fell off. Whoops. And he's like, I don't feel great. (laughs)
0: Like, I bet you don't. (laughs) I just could not believe that when he did that. He stopped at Ruby, I believe, which is halfway. It's like 517 miles. It's about halfway Mm-hmm. And, he he's got, you know, like frostbite on his nose and his fingers and obviously his fucking ear because half of it fell off. It's probably not half. It's probably just a small amount. But any amount seems like too much.
1: I mean, it does, really. I right. mean, I feel like you want all of your
0: ear. I would like all of my everything. Mine, too. You know, he's talking to a doctor. Of course, the doctor's like, I really don't think you should continue, of course. But they're like, make sure you don't pop the blisters. Once you pop the blisters, infection can set in. And this is where our friend Bill comes in, right? He's like, Mm. well, with my experience and knowledge, I just, you know, I just wanted to give him options. And it looked like very superficial damage from frostbite. So the only thing that's going to make it worse is if they get frozen again. So if he can't prevent that, then he should not go on. But if he can prevent that, then he should continue. Well, he didn't
1: prevent it the first time, motherfucker.
0: I think if he could have prevented it, he would have figured that out
1: initially, right? I was just stunned when I heard that. And it's like, how convenient that you who are not racing anymore is just sitting back in the warm cabin talking to people about, you know, what you really should do is go against the advice of your doctor
0: Mm.
1: and go on back out there. Sounds great.
0: thanks. And it's like, it's just superficial. So what is not superficial? If you could literally hold his hand and pull it off. Is that what you consider not superficial? <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, I'm,
1: I completely embrace the fact that I don't know a lot about frostbite, thankfully, and there right. probably are stages of frostbite, absolutely. However, I just, I just don't understand the lack of caution. But then, it's just, it's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm.
1: cool. All right, so back to RJ. So the Iditarod the dog race, is also in full swing. Mm -hmm. So he discusses that it's really nice to see other people and some puppy dogs.
0: We do see the puppies. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I was also happy about that. So while he's in Ruby, or sorry, this is this is Yukon River, which is mile 560 is what I have. Mm -hmm. but, But, you know. So he really discusses feeling a lot of pressure because Tim is right on his heels.
0: Let's point out at this point, Kevin has dropped out. So Kevin got right. a stomach bug after Ruby and was stranded and like, he couldn't keep any food in. And so of course you need that energy. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. he's out. So now RJ's in the lead, I believe. Right. Or is it Jay? I don't know. Someone else is in the lead, not Kevin anymore. <laughs> so yeah. So I, I found it very interesting
1: that they are starting to feel the pressure of the, other person like overtaking part of their their thing and i guess again tim is not a human being so he's not interested in sleeping inside even when he can um mm-hmm. he only sleeps for like four hours a day he prefers to be out at night because again he's not really a human being <laughs> that's i'm joking he's just seems to be the the mark here that everybody's trying to beat they just are all aware what a Amazing competitor he is, right? So, right. It was just really interesting to hear about that.
0: Right. It is crazy to me because he had Tim had mentioned he doesn't like sleeping in other people's homes. And so that's why he'll go in, he'll warm up, he'll eat Mm -hmm. a little bit, and then he'll go out and he'll sleep later on on the trail. And he feels more comfortable Mm -hmm. doing that. And I guess if you've done this enough times, like he has, then it isn't as anxiety ridden as for other people who maybe haven't. And that would. You know, I would like the safety of a building, please. Mm -hmm. But whatever. Right. At mile
1: 785, RJ has broken the pedal of his bike. Mm -hmm. And he's stopping at a little cabin in the middle of nowhere, but it's painted like extremely orange. And it's like on a big rock. This was like, how did this place? How did they get the materials here to ever build this joint? I don't know.
0: Mushers brought them in. And there are mushers there with their dogs, too. So that makes me feel better about how... He's probably happy to see other people, right? And I got to say, if I saw mushers, I'm on a bike or on foot or skis or whatever, and I saw mushers, all I would think of is, could I just have just one of the dogs? Just one. Pay you for it. I'll give it back at the end. Let him pull my bike. We'll be happy. Right. I got this. Oh, I was
1: thinking, like, I got a basket on the front. I can put them in there. Oh,
0: add extra weight to my bike I want it to pull me
1: that's probably true but I like the way RJ tries to fix his bike is he's looking for pedals from the abandoned bikes like the bike graveyard that is around (laughs) you know what I mean because people (laughs) scratched or whatever and just like left their bike which at some point somebody mentions that that they have a pretty expensive piece of equipment with them so I'm assuming that means the bike again they tell me no numbers I guess because they don't want people to be even more mad about this race is the only answer that I can give you (laughs) for why they don't discuss the cost.
0: (laughs) So you're going to practically die and it's going to cost you $50,000 to do so. So every year, every year. Yeah.
1: But you know, feel free to leave your wife at home with the kid. Mm -hmm. Cool. 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 Sounds great.
0: Go find yourself.
1: Mm. Right. Be out there with the wolves and stuff. (laughs) I mean, I hate to talk shit about it because I won't ever experience that. And I'm sure that there's some kind of, like, uh, reckoning that, you know, you're like, I can accomplish anything. I don't need to go that far to know I can accomplish anything. I'm just, I don't
0: want to. I feel like there are other things in my life I'd rather accomplish than that. There's nothing about that that is appealing to me. Nothing. Right.
1: Anyway. I do find it funny that Jay talks about he's... mile 889 and he is staying at a residence in white mountain and these people take you in despite the fact you haven't showered and i'm like thank you somebody talks about the fact that these people must stink
0: mm. so mm. wearing mm. the same clothes for 15 days and yeah mm. right Mm-mm.
1: so i guess there's a bit of a culture here if you live in these remote areas you're round you're taking folks in as kind of a kind of being gracious to travelers because at some point you also might have been in the situation or could be in the situation. So it's a little bit of goodwill that you're, you know, putting out in the universe and pay, maybe in hopes that it might be returned to you, but also just sort of the general, like we get it. It's weird up here.
0: I have a question. I was thinking that too, like how nice are these people to take people in? But then I thought, you know what? I bet part of the fee for this race goes to help provide food for them to, Cause they're cooking food and that for people. And some of these places are, are, you know, uh, bed and breakfast. Some are just mm-hmm. a little tent put up, but these people are doing a lot. And so I'm sure they get some money from the registration for this. They have to, if they're like officially a checkpoint as well. I
1: mean, I hope so. That makes me more too. sense to me. Yeah. But they portray it as in this is just out of the kindness of the hearts of the people that live mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere, Alaska.
0: So even if you get paid for it, having people come at all hours of the day and night, cause you don't know when right. going to show up. That is still a kindness. So I will give them credit for that. Yes.
1: It is really funny too, because they all seem to know the different racers, right? Like mm-hmm. so bill merchant who's been a part of this race for forever knows all these people. Evidently, Tim knows all these people too, and they're like, Ooh, Tim is like hot in your heels, you know?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, and he only sleeps for like an hour a day, so you better get going. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: right. He's made of the cold. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Troy specifically talks a little bit about the expense of the tools and kind of sort of that balance between, you know, more equipment might offer you more options for the bad conditions and you're more prepared potentially, but also it's more weight. So kind of an interesting
0: uh, trade-off for people who know about that kind of stuff. Right. And he was joking. He's like, I probably have twice as much crap on here as Tim. So that's why I'm behind. Yeah, absolutely. That's it, sir. So Jay finishes first to know he's the wiener. And I like how he said he's looking forward to changing his clothes <laughs> and eating real food. And I'm like, I would be like, just give me a fucking shower. We could celebrate later.
1: I mean, I assume you'd burn all the stuff that you wore. I and mean, we, uh, can you get that funk out of things? I don't know if water can be hot enough.
0: I <laughs> so I don't know. Right. It's funny because RJ is still ahead of Tim he stops at White Mountain to take a rest. He's like, I'm just going to sleep for a couple hours. But then five minutes later, he's like, never mind. I'm going back. Like, he warms up. He eats. He's like, nope, I can't. Tim is in- unstoppable. I have to stay ahead of him. So right. keep in mind, they had made a comment, they, the Royal Bay had made a comment that after McGrath, after that 350 mile point, it's no longer really a race as much as it's an adventure. And you're just racing yourself at this point. But that's clearly huh. not the case because- You have people here who are like, nope, I got to stay ahead. I got to stay ahead. So, right. Yeah.
1: We have Martin who's at the river shelter cabin. Mm -hmm. He's talking about how his hands get cold easily. Shocking. Mm. They do show a funny note that's at this cabin. And it's like, look, this cabin's here and it might save your life, but please respect it. And like, don't take the fucking axe because it belongs here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny. Like the rules of the cabin. It's just funny to see like something happened at this cabin <laughs> and they were like, look, we got the bad apples coming in here. We can't have that anymore. Um, we're going to have to have you behave in a certain way. Yeah. Holes. So it was just really funny to see that they had to put that up there.
0: Respect the cabin. Yo.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. RJ reaches no okay. second place. Mm-hmm. Well done. Tim comes in third first time finishing on a bike, but the 10th time finishing overall. So Jesus fucking Christ, dude, find a new hobby. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing they ask him at that last checkpoint that he stops at, um, they had asked, the documentarians, I believe, had asked, is this the last time you're going to do this? And he says, I say that every single year, that it's the last time. And so I'll probably be back next year. (laughs) At least you're honest with yourself.
1: I would like to have a psychologist Hmm. take a look at this. There's got to be
0: a certain personality trait that drives people to do this. Yeah.
1: Um, And I'm not saying that isn't a person who thinks that I've got all the answers or I've got everything figured out. I certainly do not. But I am saying if this is what you have to do to go out and prove that you're good enough, I really have some thoughts about what is that
0: all about. And I think the ones that do it once and finish are probably more inclined towards that. The people like Tim who come back and do it every year, it doesn't seem like he's proving anything. He just wants to do it for himself. It's something that he just enjoys doing, which is a Mm -hmm. whole different psychopathy. I don't even know what that is. But
1: Well, I mean, he's also a lawyer. So, I mean, I'm going to make an assumption here, but he must have finished school. And, you know, I would think that most people would think if you're a lawyer, you would have enough professional success that, you know, I don't know. It's just an interesting... It's so different than anything I've experienced or anybody that I know has ever done.
0: I'm just interested in what makes them tick. I'm going to say a dominatrix would be cheaper and more readily accessible (laughs) than doing this every year. That's all I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. Same effect in the end. It's humbling, I'm sure. I hope so. (laughs) Uh, Martin finishes fourth. His fingers seem Mm -hmm. to have survived. Troy and Peter... Got a joint fifth place. So they ended up riding together, which is, I think, what I would do. I want a companion. I want somebody there to commiserate with. They also had an expedition rider named Wyatt right. with them. I had to look that up. Did you know what that was?
1: I mean, I I noted that there was an expedition rider, but I don't know what that is.
0: I was like, what the fuck is that? And so apparently it's uh the pace is slower and accommodates kind of multiple riders. And so you're not in it for the race. You're just in it to kind of do the trail. Oh, okay. So it's guided. It's, it's guided. Well, I mean, he was with these two. He was with Troy and Peter. So, but he wasn't trying okay. to finish first, as it were. It wasn't a competition as much as just doing it, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, sure.
1: I do like that Peter mentions that he read a book about this race and that made him want to do it. Whereas we watched a documentary and we were like, "Mm -mm, Mm -mm. not
0: doing it. Maybe the book wasn't quite as descriptive as the documentary's (laughs) images were. I don't know. Something. That's true.
1: It is hard to describe what negative 35 feels like on your face.
0: Oh my God. I am glad we watched this in the spring when it's been like 75, 80 degrees outside this week. If it were yeah. really cold, I think I would just be miserable, even more miserable watching it and just have to take a hot bath after. Mm-mm. So cast
1: your mind back to Christmas time in 2022 here in the fair state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say that with straight face for a change. And we had a really nasty storm right around Christmas time and it got below free. I mean, it got below, it was negative numbers, right? Negative tens, negative something mm-hmm. like that. I don't think it got to negative twenty, but like you went outside and it was windy, and I thought, well, I hope I make it back in. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> getting the terrible.
0: mail, yes.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, I had I had to take my dog out on the leash,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and like he didn't want to go out, and I didn't want to go out, and I'm like, I was out for five or ten minutes
0: mm-hmm. at
1: like warmer temperatures, and these people were sleeping outside on the ground. No, yeah. I don't know. No. I was just thinking about like, I don't know that I've ever experienced negative 35s and 40s.
0: It's been close. Here. I want to say it was mm-hmm. um, around 2014, 2013, okay. 2014. I was working mm-hmm. in the same building as you and we had to walk really far and I wasn't parking where you were parking to walk through the buildings. I was parking somewhere else. Cause I didn't know. And I had to walk outside really far to get to the building And it was Mm like negative 30 and it was the most miserable walk every single day. Right. It was like 15 minutes to get into the building. Right. It was just horrible. And that's really rare for where we, it doesn't get much below freezing for too long here. Right. So it's, yeah, not good. Plus we're just, we're babies is what it is. And I'm okay with that.
1: (laughs) That's true. We are sensitive things and (laughs) I just don't, I'm not interested, but This made for a great documentary. The scenery to me was the
0: the only reason to do it. It was stunningly beautiful. It really was. I watched the mushers and I thought I could could maybe mush, right? Mm -hmm. I could maybe do that because it didn't seem like that was as long either. I would like to look up and see how long that race is. It didn't look like they were starting all the way in Anchorage Mm -hmm. and going to Nome, but it's the same finish line in Nome. So I'm not sure where they start that race. I, I don't either.
1: I did like the fact that they put um, straw down on the snow for the puppies. Mm-hmm. You do get to see, like, kind of what that looks like when they rest.
0: Yeah, and they had little blankets on them. And, yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, how do you... I think it's interesting to think about, like, so you have to take so much gear and stuff for yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you're a musher and you have a sled, so you mean you have more room. But still, I'm sure that there's that thing of, like, how much food do I take for these doggies and, you know... How many mm-hmm. extra pairs of boots do I have to take for them? Because they did have little boots on.
0: Little boots on their feet, you know, yeah. Right, so. And I wonder with the checkpoints, if there's a a way that. You could if, resupply or something? That you could leave stuff there, like ahead of the race. Maybe <gasps> oh, down okay. a snowmobile out there and be like, I'm going to put food here, here, and here. So I know we'll have food for the dogs at these stops or whatever. And you're going faster okay. on a sled than you would on that bike. So it's a shorter race, I would think.
1: Yeah. I'm just saying, I think it's an interesting, like, so we're talking about, you know, how you balance it just for one and mm-hmm. you're right, it would be longer, but even more little live critters, critters yeah. and shorter, but more in- energy expenditure because they're not oh, like them. walking yeah. at a leisurely pace. They're like hustling there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway,
1: maybe we'll have to look for one about the rod and like the actual mushers and see what that's all about. So absolutely
0: that's fascinating.
1: The whole time you're like, what will happen
0: next? So, I'm telling you, this one, uh, yeah, it's an emotional roller coaster because I started off pissed that I had to watch it because there were no dogs. <laughs> and then I got to the end <laughs> and I was excited for the ones that made it. And I was like, I can't believe you mm-hmm. did this, you crazy fuckers. So it was a right. really well done documentary. I was really happy to watch it. Mm-hmm. And I think even if you go into it thinking, want to watch it without dogs, you should give it a go. Right,
1: right. Did you have a selection for Honorary Aaron this time around?
0: Hmm. I'm going to say my Honorary Aaron will be RJ. Because, one, he had a pretty good sense of humor the whole time. He was in a pretty good mood the whole time. That made me happy. Two, he came in second place. And you know you and I are somewhat mediocre. We're never going to be first placers. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) And he just, I don't know. He seemed like a pretty cool cat. So I'm going to say RJ. I
1: think it's funny that we, this is the second time we've landed on <laughs> the same person.
0: What were you And reasons? I agree. He
1: just seemed like the most relatable person right. on this mm-hmm. journey. So, you know, he talks about being lonely. He talks about, you know, kind of feeling the pressure a couple different mm-hmm. times. So I appreciated that about, he just seems like a guy that you could talk to about this without feeling <laughs> bad for asking questions.
0: Right. But he seemed like a person that this is not going to become his whole identity, right mm-hmm. there. I feel like the others, this is their whole identity in life. And right. this cat was like, well, I did it. We're cool. Now let's do something else. And I kind of appreciate that. First of all, or secondly, or thirdly, let me say they're lucky. There are any honor errands. Cause in all honesty, no Aaron would do this <laughs> ever. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it is it's such a strange mindset compared to, you know, my reality. Um, and I yes. think that's really what is so fascinating about this is what draws people to this race and what makes them come back.
0: So yes. who's to say? Yes. It's not even that first time, it's the coming back that blows my mind. Yes.
1: Right. Um, I did want to mention that Tim at one point mentions, I think it's right after he finishes, that he's gonna retire. However, they do mention right at the end that he has signed up for the next year's race, the 2018 race. <laughs> of course, race. He, did.
0: Of course yeah. he did.
1: And Bill decides probably for the best for everybody that he's going everyone to retire. So he will not be mm-hmm. assess- <laughs> he will not be associated with this after 20 years. So everyone's fingers and maybe their nose probably will benefit. So
0: yeah, I agree. It's yeah. probably for the best yeah. of everyone. hmm Okay. That's it. That's it for this one. It was it was really good. Mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised by how good it was. I will say that. Right. It yeah. is really engaging.
1: Mm-hmm. Next week, we have decided that we will cover Jazz Fest, a New Orleans story. Mm-hmm. This is a 2022 release. One hour and 35 minutes. And it is available to rent just about everywhere on all the different streaming services. So I think you could find it wherever you choose to look, but the idea here is that this is supposedly Amer- America's greatest festival, so a little bit of New Orleans history, um, certainly if you're a music person, you might enjoy something like this, but um, this will come out sort of during the time of Jazz Fest, um, when it's happening mm-hmm. for the 2023 year, and uh, we'll be covering it for you.
0: Yay. Yeah, our original goal was to actually go to Jazz Fest and record it down there, <laughs> This episode <laughs> down there, but yeah, we're not going to Jaspis this year, but maybe yeah. next year.
1: Thanks maybe inflation. Year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. So beyond that, you guys, we will ask you to rate, review, and subscribe. We're looking for words that you might want to share with us. Um, certainly recommendations. Stars are always a nice way to help us get to people who are looking for well-rated podcasts potentially. And uh Yeah. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah. Okay. And thank you for joining us this mm-hmm. week. I hope you enjoyed yeah. the documentary, and mm-hmm. we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great.
1: Please find us on Instagram and Twitter at Go Doc Yourself, and uh, we'll check you later. Thanks a lot. Bye.
0: Bye. Cheers.